Paul will warn the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 that the time is going to come when grievous wolves would come in among them. And so he's talking about threats that come from the inside. Obviously there he's talking primarily to the elders at Ephesus and threats that would arise among them as elders. But it also suggests that threats come from the inside. In Colossians, you have Paul that will warn the church at Colossae about being seduced by vain philosophies and vain worship and vain humility. At Thessalonica, Paul will remind the church there when they have been told that Christ has already come and therefore have quit all their jobs, that he's not come yet, the time will come when he will come back, but it will not be this earth. So he's told them, quit being busybodies, back to work, and don't give up yet. The problem is, there's always been those challenges that happen from the outside and from the inside. We've faced those threats as God's people. Throughout time, that's been the case. And from time to time, <laughs> it's necessary to revisit fundamental things that we've always been taught, and because we've always been taught about those things, they seem to become rather rote or routine, or here goes Johnny one note again, same old thing all over again. And so about the time we preach on and you fill in the blank, here it comes again. The truth of the matter is, it's always important to remind ourselves of fundamental truths. It's always important to remind ourselves of foundational truths against foundational and about foundational issues. Because generations change. In every generation, every generation faces the same challenge as the previous generation. And every generation faces the challenge to think through God's Word for themselves in their time. That was true when I was younger. I remember well thinking through issues that I've been taught all my life, wondering, why is that so if that's so? I well remember one particular question that, that I had been taught all my life by my father, and I was bound and determined that what I was going to do is I wasn't going to believe what he taught the Bible to teach. And I set out with all my fervor to try to come to a conclusion different than he came on that particular passage and study myself right back into the conclusions that he made. But at least at that time, I knew why the conclusions were there. They weren't conclusions that were a byproduct of something my father had handed down to me, there were, something that were, there were conclusions that I arrived at because I had to fundamentally do my own thinking. I remember a pivotal moment in my early preaching life when two men that I had studied with prominently a greater period of time came to disagree on one particular passage. One had a viewpoint this way, another had a viewpoint this way on that passage, and I thought, now what am I going to do? You're supposed to both agree, so I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And lo and behold, what I had to do is I had to study for myself and come to a conclusion on that question that was different with those two men. I thought, how can these two men that know the Bible come to a different conclusion on this passage? 
And if they'll agree on it, then I'll know what I'm supposed to do. Well, I'm supposed to believe about that passage. But I face something every generation faces. Every generation faces the challenge of coming to the Word of God not based upon what has been concluded, not based upon what has been taught, but based upon the conclusions that come from a fresh study of the Word of God for each individual. No one can tell you or me what to think or how to think about God's Word. Each one of us has to come to those conclusions ourselves. I remember years ago hearing Brother W.L. Horton, who is deceased, preacher of a generation before. On a particular question, one lady came to him and said, I wish all you preachers would just decide the truth so we would know what we're supposed to believe. You see that? You preachers decide the truth so we'll know what we're supposed to believe. If y'all could come to a conclusion of the truth, we'll know what we're supposed to believe. But it's not our responsibility as teachers of the Word of God to tell you what to believe. It's our responsibility as teachers of the Word of God to take you to the Word of God and expose the Word of God, to challenge you to think about the Word of God, and then study that and come to your own conclusions. None of us are like baby birds with our mouths open and the mother, holding the, mother, uh, mother bird holding the worm right above our mouths and us chirping until we're fed the, uh, fed the worm. No. We each come in each generation to the Word of God to come to our conclusions about what the Word of God has said. Having said that, challenges that have come through the years that brethren have been challenged with or differed on don't really change. They may not come in the dress of the 1900s, and they may not come in the dress of 2000 to 2023, but they come. As I just made a list of things that brethren have been challenged with through the years that we have to think about anew with every generation. This is Ricky's list. This is nobody else's list. This is Ricky's list. It's not, it's not intended to be all comprehensive. It's, it's representative. It's what I can think of. Here are issues brethren have always, always wrestled with. Organization of the church. Work of the local church and how she spends her money. Autonomy of the local church. Sponsoring churches. Can churches go, join together collectively, collectively do their work? Authority. How to establish it. Grace slash fellowship. The Holy Spirit slash the person indwelling and mission. Instruments of music. Essentiality of baptism. Marriage. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Modesty. Gambling. Social drinking. Dancing. Pornography, abortion, and today we add social media and digital influences. The truth is, debate rages on all 
these issues. And what I hear today a lot is the same thing I heard and that I said when I was in my early years as well. And so the same phrase is repeated over and over through every generation, and that is, we don't talk enough about grace. Now, we just had a whole meeting on that with Paul White, so that ought to help us in the immediate term. But have you ever figured, ever thought about this? That when we talk about grace, it may not be the word G-R-A-C-E, but there's not a page on this New Testament that doesn't talk about grace. And so when we're talking about things from the pages of the New Testament, we may not be mentioning the word G-R-A-C-E, but we are talking about grace when we open the Bible and talk about the Word of God. It's on every page in the Bible. The truth of the matter is, while that's not an all-comprehensive list, those are pretty much issues that occur over and over and over throughout every generation. And things that have been supposedly settled in the past were settled in the past with a past generation. But they've not necessarily been settled with a present or future generation. And the reason is because you can't hand off the conclusions of the previous generation to a present or future generation. It just doesn't work that way. You can't open one brain and take out of that brain and pour into the other. Each are going to have to come to our own studied conclusions. That's just the way it is. And we're not going to circumvent that. It's always going to be that way. And so if we ever think we can get to a point in our study that, well, we've established some sort of orthodoxy of some scripture or passage, then we've missed a step or two. Because there's no such thing. And so when we think about that, I think it's important for us to be reminded that with every generation, we're always reminding ourselves of fundamental truths. Generations come and generations go. But fundamental truths are always fundamental truths, and those fundamental truths do not change because they come from the objective, not subjective, objective word of God. Now let me add another element to that. Pause just a moment. There's no PowerPoint this morning. We're not struggling with the mouse this morning. Poor Jordan, I watched him last week and he was jumping all over the stage trying to get that mouse to work. I thought he was going to turn backflips. And this morning it had a glitch too. And the second thing is, this is not a point sermon. I'll have one, two, three points. This is more of a narrative. So if you're waiting for me to say point number one, I don't have point number one, I have point number two. I have one point, and, and that's it, and it's going to thread throughout the whole thing. So if you're saying, okay, where is he going and where's the next point, I'm telling you there's not a next point. I'm on the point, and that's it. And we'll get to the conclusion in just a moment, then you know what the conclusion is. So I thought, as I tell Jansen, you've got to let the audience know where you're going. I better let you know where I'm going with this. So back, back on task. Let me add another element that's a challenge in this then. It's not just an element that's a challenge to think about it from generation to generation, but when we think about every one of these issues I just spoke about, you add another element to it, and that is you add a personality. 
if it was just the truth, objective on the page, which, by the way, lies inanimate. It's as inanimate as that bench is. I didn't say it did not have power, but it's a book that lies on a shelf. It's inanimate as it lies there. If that's all there was, that might be one thing. But the fact is, every issue has a personality attached to it. And here's the challenge of that with every generation. And again, I faced this challenge whenever I was younger as well. It's easy, it's easy to cast stones at a previous generation. It's easy for us to sit here today as a present generation and look back at previous generations with all those generations that have struggled and, and discussed all the issues that I read and cast stones or aspersions toward that previous generation. And what I would suggest to you about that is this. That's not fair. It's not fair for a number of reasons. It's not fair, number one, because we weren't there. We're prejudiced about things. We weren't there. We don't know what the circumstances were that people in a previous generation faced when those questions arose. Let's just think about it from the standpoint of, of the work of the church or autonomy and discussions that have gone on with brethren from, from ages on end. And it's not just goes back, it doesn't just go back to the 1950s, folks. It goes back to the very first century. They had a problem in the first century with questions, and it was about circumcision and the law. So let's just go back to the 1950s. We weren't there in Acts chapter 15. When they, when, those, when, that, when they came together with apostles and elders and disciples from Jerusalem, we weren't there when they discussed that. And it's easy for us to look at that and say, well, let me tell you how they mishandled that. Now, most of the time, we don't go back to Acts 15. Most of the time, we go back to the 1950s and the later 1800s, when the instrument of music question became an issue. And we begin to look at that and say, you know, when, when they debated that, they didn't have a very good spirit, and that's probably right. There were some who debated that and some involved in that that did not have a very good spirit. But that did not negate the truth. And because someone did not have a very good spirit does not negate what the truth is relative to that question. And so it's not fair for us to sit here today and say, let me tell you where they got it wrong. And then have a negative attitude or throw rocks at a previous generation. The truth of the matter is this, and this is really important for us to get. We would not have local churches like we have local churches today had it not been for previous generations, mistakes or not. We wouldn't have this local church if it were not for previous generations. We sit here today on somebody else's shoulders. We don't sit here today because we, as a congregation of three to 400 people, whatever's gathered here today, have all of a sudden arisen, and we are so great today, we did it all by ourselves. That's not the case. November 1st will be the 60th anniversary of this church. This church didn't get here in 2023 by just popping up in 2023. There's somebody or somebody 60 years ago that helped start the core crew of what made up this congregation. 
and there was something that happened that caused that. I wasn't there. I don't know. I can't judge those people that they made a mistake or did not make a mistake for why the, why the congregation started. I wasn't there. You weren't there. And so when we begin to, to talk about issues that have historically been challenging to brethren, and what we're going to do is we're going to indict a previous generation. That's not fair. It says more about us and our present generation and future generation than it does about them. And what it says is we're smarter than they are because we're here today and here we are, and we weren't there. We're smarter than they were. And I would suggest to you that we're not smarter. And I would suggest to you, and this is a little indicting, I understand this, we may not be as well studied on some things as those people were as well because we haven't been challenged to do so because somebody else helped break some ground to help us think about some things. I think that's significant for us to think about. This local church, this local church is responsible for two things. Number one, their devotion to the king. And number two, their submission to their oversight. Oversight, which, by the way, the church, the local congregation, has to serve. And each local congregation stands self-governing, and as self-governing gets to choose. Gets to choose what they will do or what they will not do or the kind of spirit or attitude they will have. And the kind of spirit or attitude each local church chooses has nothing to do with the previous generation. It has everything to do with what's going on among us right now in 2023. That's us. We get to choose that. Or we get to choose this. We get to choose to do otherwise than what the New Testament says or whatever question you want to have. We get to make that choice. Now, we don't stick our heads in the sand. We're not like Austin, just stick our, stick our heads in the sand and act like we don't know, don't know what's going on around us. We, we all know, always need to be aware of threats and dangers. But here's where it all comes down to. Fellowship, that's partnership, that's mutual relationship, exists only on the level of a local church. It doesn't exist on the level of the brotherhood. There's no brotherhood church. There's no brotherhood church of Christ. There are no brotherhood preachers. There's no brotherhood elders. There's no brotherhood Bible. It's just the Bible. Each local church is self-governing, submitting to their own oversight because they've commonly agreed to do so. And they're responsible for that before the king. Every effort through the years, every effort through the years to include things to a brotherhood level has always produced two things, confusion and division. I remember years ago in a gospel meeting where we had a preacher who did a fine job. I'm not indicting him. But on Sunday morning, he, he, he preached a shotgun sermon. What I call with that, a shotgun is a shell. You hit and it just hits everything. And he hit everything. And one of our members at that time, we were college part, walked out and said, Ricky, what are we going to do about that? I said, do about what? Everything he talked about. And I said, well, number one, we're not going to make brotherhood problems, college part problems. We're going to deal with College Park on the basis of College Park, or we're going to deal with Campbell Road on the basis of Campbell Road. Our problems are our problems. Our problems aren't the Brotherhood's problems. And one of the problems the Brotherhood has is not Campbell Road's problems. 
Sometimes I'll go places and I'm asked this question. What do you think is the biggest problem the church faces today? Years ago, Brother Robert Turner, writing in Plain Talk, in his stuff about things, had that question come before him, and his answer was, the question. The question. What do you think is the biggest trouble churches, the church faces today? And the answer is the question. And that's because we're thinking bigger than, other than, more than what the local church is. If you want to know what the problem of local problems that Campbell Road faces, I'll, I'll tell you the problems Campbell Road faces. And the first one is Ricky Jenkins. And it goes down from there. But I, I don't know what problems necessarily Abilene faces. I don't know what problems married Indiana face. I've been meetings there, but you can't judge things by we. When we have a gospel meeting, we don't invite a man to come in here and solve our problems. And if people ask me to come in and solve their problems, I tell them I'm not the man to solve your problem because I don't know your problems. Those are your problems. The only problems we have are problems that exist on the level of a local church. But when you insert a personality to it, that personality begins to take on a trait that's broader than the local church. And that personality becomes broader than the local church. And here's the warning to we who preach. That's a danger. It's a danger whenever I want you to follow me on Facebook, you know I don't have Facebook. It's a danger when I promote my Wednesday's walk with the Lord so I'll have more followers. Whenever I'm promoting something other than the Word of God and Christ and the Lord Himself, then I'm promoting something beyond what I am to promote. I am not to promote Ricky Jenkins. I'm not to promote Wednesday's walk with the Lord. I couldn't tell you how many subscribe to that thing. Matt Sanders knows I have no idea. It's not my concern. My concern is not, does Ricky Jenkins get the attention Ricky Jenkins thinks he deserves? And is Ricky Jenkins being invited to as many gospel meetings as Ricky Jenkins thinks he ought to be invited to? Because neither this church nor the truth of God is dependent upon Ricky Jenkins. It's dependent upon our willingness to open this book and study this book and come to our conclusions. It's not based upon who the personality is standing before you or who the personality is that is writing before you, or who the personality is that is blogging before you. It's not the personality of the person that matters. It's the truth of God that matters. And when the personality becomes the issue, we've left the issue of the Word of God. When Paul, when Paul stepped outside of that one time, as he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, you, you forced me to do this. I'm going to play, notice, I'm going to play the part of the fool. What he says is when we step outside the truth of God and become the personality, we have played the part of the fool. And he said, you forced me to this. You forced me to play your game. I'm going to step outside and play the part of the fool. And I'm going to tell you all the things that I've been through and how hard it's been for me. But he acknowledged he had stepped outside and do that. Paul, as great as he was, did the best he could to dilute the fact that he was a personality. It's a danger to we who preach or those who teach that we become the issue, not the Word of God.
Generations do not have to decide. Previous generations do not have to decide who the man in the pulpit is and how great he is. We have to decide about God's Word. And so that brings us to today. This church is not the same church Jody and myself and the kids moved to 32 years ago. It's not. 32 years ago, me and Anthony and Ron and all of us our age group, we were in our 30s. We were 36 years old. Now we're 68 plus years old. And now then, that group that was 10 years old, Kevin, Eric, others, they're that 36 years old. They're that 40 years old. And things are turning. And then we have others that have come in that are younger yet than that. And things begin to cycle themselves through. Now we have people who had no kids and have kids, and they're in college, and some may be even grandkids. And Joe and I both are expecting a great-grandchild end of the year. Things change. It's not the same group. There are some core people still here. But the majority of this church wasn't here 32 years ago. In August 91, when Jody and I came here. But I'll tell you what is the same. The thing that hasn't changed is the emphasis upon this book called the Word of God. The people have changed, but the preaching and the teaching has always been in that period of time and going all the way back to 60 years ago when Jack Lambert Holt was the first preacher this church ever had to Bob Bolton, myself, to the present, have been the emphasis of the Word of God and what does the text say and what does the Word of God say and how do we apply that? Have we always agreed on how, to, how it's applied? No, we haven't. We've realized one thing. We're not the Lord, and the Lord is. And we're going to do our best to stay true to Him. We've tried to apply it the best we can apply it. We haven't been perfect in applying it. And sometimes churches today, I hear, are indicted. And sometimes I, I hear things about this church that, that are indicting. And I hear in phrases like this, and you've heard, heard me say something about this more recently. Well, the Church of Christ does. The Church of Christ says. I don't know anything the Church of Christ does the Church of Christ says. I know what the Bible says. I know what people of God try to do. 90% of what we do is individual. 90% of what we do is individual. That means 10% of what we do is collective. And there's a limit of what we do collectively. We can preach the gospel. We can relieve needy saints under a limited kind of deed, not general. And we can help evangelize the world. And beyond that, that's the work of the church. Everything else is left to me and you as individuals. And so when I assign things to the church that are my responsibility, as Jordan said at 9 o'clock, the work of individuals, I miss what the Lord expects of His church to be and to do. But you know what? That's not true because I said it. 
every one of us have to go back and learn that and research it and come to our conclusions about it. Not because I said it. Every one of us will have to go back and we're going to have to look at God's Word and say, what does God's Word say about me as an individual and me as a collective? Every one of us. It's not true because Jordan or I say it. If Jordan mentions feeding the poor, and we talk about we're not feeding the poor, I wonder how do we know that? I was in a meeting a few years ago at a congregation, and one lady walked in and she said, we're just not baptizing people like we used to. Why are we doing that? My gentle response, first of all, was, well, first I would tell you that's rather self-indicting. Because what that means is you aren't and they aren't. But how do you know? How do you know we aren't baptizing people like we used to? How, how do we know that? There are people being baptized all over this world all the time. Because I don't see them baptized in this baptistry every Sunday doesn't mean that people aren't being baptized into Christ all the time. People are coming to the Lord all the time all over this world. The gospel has broken out and has gone into all the world. There are more positive things the church does, this local church does, than there are negative things this church does. There are a lot of positive things that go on in this congregation that nobody ever mentions because that's not what we do. The right hand sometimes doesn't know what the left hand is doing. And sometimes the elders don't even know what's going on by the part of people. We'll learn from it by word of mouth with somebody else. Do you see? We're going to have to come to conclusions ourselves, but before we do, let's make sure we look at ourselves real closely. And so let me leave two or three things, and this is the two or three things at the end I referred to a while ago that I think are important for us, fundamentally important for us today. Number one, whatever the question is, it always must be answered by the Word of God. Whatever the question is, it begins, starts, and ends with the Word of God. My application may be different than your application, but it's going to begin and start with the Word of God. One beat of that is this. I've got to then understand how to read and understand the Word of God. I can't tell you how to think, but I can teach you how to think through the Word of God to come to your own conclusion. It begins with the Word of God, and we have to understand how the Word of God communicates. And the Word of God communicates just like I do and you do. Sometimes I tell people something. Sometimes I show people something. And sometimes I say, let me give this to you so clear you can't miss the obvious about this. Whatever you will call that. That's how language works. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, he said, the word of God did not profit them because they would not hear and would not learn. That's the second thing. We begin with the word of God. And second of all, if the word of God is going to profit, it must be because we have heard and we have learned from it. If we're not going to hear and learn from it, then it's going to do us no good to read it. 
We begin with the Word of God, and the Word of God becomes profitable because we take it and we apply it and we allow it to transform our lives. Third and final fundamental, the fundamentals don't change because they are eternal truths that come from the Holy Spirit written down and preserved from in you. Generations change, but the foundational, fundamental things don't change. If we'll begin there and stay there, that whatever journey we take will always be led by the Word of God and conclusions will be reached by the Word of God. Here's the challenge of this narrative this morning. Think for yourself, having read and studied the Word of God. Not somebody else and not a previous generation. One foundational thing that hasn't changed is this. When man's lost in sin, Christ died on the cross. And Christ dying on the cross opened up the doors of heaven's salvation. Grace hung on the cross. But grace expected something. Grace expected a faith that would respond. And that response came in the form of believing Christ to be the Son of God, repenting of our sins, and being baptized for the mission of them. That hasn't changed. Every person that comes into fellowship with God enters through the door of Christ. And I invite you to Him while we stand up, while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at thebibleway.com we'd love to have you in person come if you can but thank you for connecting with us